Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Ryan Tannehill, quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, and I represent the Finsider with the PH. It's Wednesday night, and that means another edition of Finsider Radio. Hello, everyone. My name is Keith. I'll be your host for the next hour or so. Uh, I'm actually co-hostless at this moment, so I'm going to be taking your calls up until about uh, 8.15 Eastern time. At that point, we're going to have a, a guest call in, actually, uh, Dan LaVoy from uh, Buffalo Rumblings. I hope I pronounced his last name right. And if I didn't, it's uh, Kevin's fault because he... Uh, made it look like that's how his last name is pronounced. So Dan will be calling in around 8.15. We'll go ahead and talk about Sunday's matchup with the Bills. Uh, hopefully it goes better than the last time uh, Miami saw those guys. It seems like the, the Bills always get their game up for the Dolphins, uh, especially up in uh, upstate New York. So, I don't know, tough, tough task. Uh, a lot of stuff we can talk about up until about 8.15. Uh, most notably, not so much the fact that the Dolphins pretty much had their pants beaten off by the uh, the Patriots last Thursday, but more the fact that they lost Cameron Wake to uh, an Achilles injury, which ended his season, and uh, leaves a lot in doubt moving forward. You know, Cameron Wake is uh, the elder statesman uh, for this team. Uh, it's emotional leader and uh, not really someone you just replace. So not only are you looking, are you missing his ability on the field, now you're missing his uh, ability to lead, to inspire, and uh, really to, to tutor and relate to a lot of the younger players on this team. So that's a huge hole uh, the Dolphins have going on now in the midst of the fact that their, their defense is so touch and go right now. Uh, sometimes you like, you love what you're seeing from it, and other times it just feels like uh, – a great big mess out there. So that's uh, one big takeaway from from last Thursday's game. I mean, the good news is the Dolphins had uh, extra rest this week to try to get up for this game on Sunday against a Buffalo team that you know that they, with Rex in there, they have their identity in place. You know what they want to do on defense. Uh, like just about um, every other um, 
Rex team in history, the main question appears to be at quarterback because everywhere else, I mean, they're outstanding. Their their offensive line is fantastic. Uh, they're getting better production from their backfield, something that was expected to be a, a strength for them this year. Uh, their defense is just amazing, really. I mean, at, at all three levels when it's clicking, Buffalo is just a phenomenal defense. And it's hard not to marvel at the thought of Rex Ryan with actual edge rushers in his uh, at his disposal. Something he really didn't have in New York. We talk about this uh, from time to time on the show. But I, that was the one thing that Jets could never get Rex when he was in New York was pass rushers. His best edge rusher was Calvin Pace. So, I mean, when he first landed in in uh, New York, really New Jersey, uh, you want to be technical about it, uh, was, you know, a, a good player coming over. But, I mean, if, if Calvin Pace is your best edge rusher during your time running a 3-4 scheme, um, you're going to have problems. So the thought of Rex now, he's in Buffalo. He's just got a wealth of these guys who can rush off the edge. Uh, that's a scary premise, Gary, when you consider the protection problems that the Dolphins routinely have uh, year in and year out. Uh, actually, uh, I'm no longer co-host. Uh, I have uh, my good buddy on the phone. Lewis, what's going on? Uh, not much, Keith. Uh, trying to get some relaxation, some relaxation in after a long day. No, everything going all right? Yeah, everything's fine. It was just life comes at you, bro. Uh, so no angry Lewis tonight, more the uh, melancholy Lewis? I'm I'm tired, Lewis, but if you if you touch a touchy subject, I'll probably get angry again because I was kind of going off earlier today. Oh, I, I saw a little bit of that. Um, I didn't have much time to investigate what was going on on Twitter. And to be honest with you, uh, since that loss last Thursday, I've kind of avoided Twitter just for the fact that um, I'm not going to find anything out online that I don't already know after watching that game. That was just a case of getting beaten down by a much better team. And I understand that, the, I mean, for all we know, the, the Patriots could run the table this year. Uh, I would love to see them go against that Denver defense, especially after what Denver did to Aaron Rodgers on Sunday night. Uh, I think that if you're if you're interested in in the game of matchups, in really in any sport, but especially in football, uh, that's one that is irresistible. The thought of that that Denver defense and that relentless Wade Phillips scheme that they have out there, going up against an offense that, uh, regardless of personnel, just finds a way to get it done. You know, and I mean, if you think about it, the one whole. Uh, New England has right now is pass protection. Uh, I mean, their offensive line is pretty much held together uh, by glue and sticks right now and some tape in there. Uh, they've had a lot of injuries. Right now, their their most notable name up front is Sebastian Vollmer. Um, so there's just a, a huge amount of inexperience up front for New England. You'd like to see if Denver could exploit that. I, I mean, I would obviously coming from from this uh, this uh, channel, you, we'd love to see that. But, um, yeah, I, I think that uh, coming on that game on Thursday, the, you, you, you're just out, absolutely outclassed in the first half. As Phil Sims noted about every 15 seconds during that game, that was a bit much. 
But because uh, I mean, we know that, or we knew that the Dolphins were going to go up there and take on an absolute juggernaut, especially uh, in Foxborough. So we, I don't think most of us were expecting to come out of there with a win. Uh, that first half was uh, also something. I don't think a lot of people were expecting it. it was ugly. Uh, the pass protection was just absolutely awful. It felt like uh, just a real return to a lot of this team's floppy play earlier in the season. And you hope that it, that's just uh, an outlier going forward and the team's able to capitalize on a lot of the momentum that they've had uh, in, um, or that they had through uh, mid to late October. But, I mean, it was it was ugly. And then you get the wake injury, which was just uh, so much salt in that wound. Uh, losing the Patriots is always ugly. And then, I mean, lo and behold, we turn around and we've got Rex uh, coming up on Sunday. Uh, do you have any expectations going into this matchup against Buffalo? Anything you're looking for? Uh, are you just hoping that it, we don't get a, a repeat of what happened in September? Well, with the Dan Campbell Dolphins, I'm not expecting to get, like, another beatdown or anything like that. In fact, I, I said after the game that I expect the Dolphins to actually win that next game because, like, you you see the press conferences, you hear what they're saying, and somehow you get – you still – even though we lost as badly as we did, you still get this sense that there's something different about this team because – the whole mentality after a loss. It's not like, we're oh, we have to be better and we have to do and all this other stuff. I mean, they said stuff like that, but they also brought up how Dan Campbell told them, like, I hope you know what, I hope you got the bitter taste in your mouth because I want you to never have to taste it again. And that's the, that's the kind of stuff that, Joe Philbin never would have said it was all he would have been all about execution and all three phases and all that nice stuff and and Campbell actually did bring up the three phases so I kind of I kind of lost it for a moment there but that was just a uh, that was a Philbinism that I wish he hadn't said but I can't do anything about that that's not a big deal in the long run Dan Campbell's Dolphins are still physical it's just that New England. Can like seriously, who's going to be able to stop New England? I'm I'm actually worried this year that they're going to wind up going all the way and take down what Mercury Morris is constantly so proud of and reminding us all the time of what uh, they were able to accomplish. And I I didn't expect the Dolphins to win. I expected them to compete a little more, but I didn't expect them to win by any means. They took away Tannehill's running game, and as a fa- and as a result, it wound up becoming once again the one-dimensional football team that has been struggling with every single team that ran into. If they had been able to have a running game, I fully expected the Dolphins to compete all wholeheartedly and make sure that it was a fight all the way through. And even though they scored like 36 points, you never got this idea that the Dolphins' defense was just horrible. They, they, I believe there was one stretch where they got like four straight. Um, three and outs or something like that, and they made Brady look pretty bad at times. It's just that over the course of the game, they ran out of gas because the offense couldn't move, and so they wind up scoring 36 points. Was it perfect on defense? No, but it was a lot better than any other game that we've seen where we lost something like that. And the offense is, again, it's just a simple explanation. You run the ball, you win. You don't run the ball, you lose. It's really not that complicated. I have a question that um, this is extremely controversial, and this is not going to go over well, but uh, this is something I think about every year. And uh, while we've got 15, or we've got five minutes until Dan from Buffalo Rumbling calls in, uh, I want to run this by you. Don't think you can 
dispute the fact that the the legacy of the perfect season has hurt this team during the past 20 years. Do you think that it's almost necessary for that record to go so this franchise can just finally move on? Willow, or do I you think, or, 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 or do you hold the the seventy two perfect season in such high regard that you you can't even fathom? Uh, I understand you don't want to bequeath that honor to the New England Patriots, the, the last team you want to hand it over to. But I've always thought, especially over the last ten years, and I'll make the case that probably since Don Shula retired after the ninety five season, that it's it's really killed these guys aside from the fact that Jimmy Johnson came in and just wanted to run the ball too. But uh, do you think it hurts to the point where it can go away and maybe it'll be a good thing? If I believed in superstition, I'd say, yeah, but I'd personally take it as a matter of pride. And the fact that the Dolphins are the only team that's done it, it's pretty much the only good thing they have left. And could you imagine the, the, could you imagine what it would be like if New England or any other team for that matter managed to go undefeated and beat the beat the the Dolphins record and become the second team to ever do it. Suddenly, the 1972 Dolphins are also once are no longer even relevant. We're all going to be talking about the awesomeness of whatever new team, and now there's literally nothing for anybody to talk about that's positive for the Dolphins. Did they still do it? Oh, yeah, sure, they did, but nobody's going to care anymore because they're not the only ones who have done it. So I would love to be able to keep it, and I don't believe in that sort of superstition that, we have to let the 1972 Dolphins record go in order for the team to be good again. Because I mean, let's be let's be let's be honest for a minute. What difference does it make whether the Dolphins did something 40 years ago to do it now? Stephen Ross was not there. Tannenbaum was not there. None of the players were there who are there now are there were there then. So at this point, it's it's really irrelevant what 1972 was, except for the Dolphins' legacy. So That's if true, anything, but at the same time. All of those players are still very much associated with the team. You mentioned Mercury Morris. Sanka's in there, too. Nick Bonacani still. Bob Greasy uh, is uh, a part of the, the radio team for those guys. And, I mean, it's you'll have, you'd be hard-pressed to listen to a Dolphins uh, uh, home game broadcast without hearing about the perfect season coming up. And I don't think it would – I said earlier if it went away, it wouldn't go away. I mean, like, I'm sure 19-0 and 0 trumps 17-0. and 0. It wouldn't but go away time, in record, but it, it would go it away in still spirit. done. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I can't dispute that. But that would be like people saying that it was. it's not a big deal that Roger Maris hit 61 home runs. You know, all the, if you look at the steroid era, and, and suddenly 66, 70, 73 home runs, uh, all of a sudden, these guys are just crushing the ball. It, did that minimize what Roger Maris did for some people at first? I mean, not to be a jerk, but if they're an idiot, because I mean, doing that, hitting the ball out of the park 61 times when Maris did it, it really, in my opinion, still a huge deal. No one else, you know, you had Babe, Babe Ruth was uh, the guy whose record he broke, and I mean, like there are just few, very few players out there. I mean, all you've, you've seen a lot of Babe Ruth the records get broken. I don't think people have forgotten about him, and he played in a completely different era. Well, I, I, I think I, you'd be surprised. I understand. I understand. I understand, I understand. 
I understand what you're saying about the spirit, and I I do have to agree that I think that would kill uh, a lot of people. But it, it seems like Dolphins fans root for two things during during any given NFL season: for the Dolphins to win, and for um, for the champagne to get popped when that last undefeated team goes down. There are four undefeated teams left, mind you. New England's not the only one in there. Uh, we'll go ahead and hold this conversation because I believe that we've uh, got our guest caller for the night. Uh, this is this would be Dan from Buffalo Rumblings. Dan, is that you? Yep, that's me. Hi. How's it going? Uh, well, so far so good as far as the bills are as far as the bills are considered. That's right. Uh, I mean, the Bills very much in uh, the AFC playoff hunt, and I mean, you'd never want to take uh, an injury and think of it as an advantage, but I, I imagine that Le'Veon Bell going down Sunday had a lot of Buffalo Bills fans thinking that the the path to the wild card just got a little bit easier. For sure. The whole last week, in fact, uh, pretty much every game ended up going the way that Bills fans would want it to go. I'm sure uh, Dolph- uh, Dolphins aside, the week probably turned out pretty similarly to you guys. Uh, we had the Steelers lose, Jets went down, uh, the Le'Veon Bell injury, the Jets had both of their quarterbacks getting injured. So it was it was a, a good week to not be playing football, which uh, considering how Buffalo's last game against the Jaguars went, we'll take what we can get. The um, That Jets game was an incredible beating, by the way. The Raiders just absolutely put it on those guys. And I was surprised because uh, – I know that Todd Bowles is still that scheme and uh, what he's done with it is really still in its infancy as it moves forward. But I was surprised at what at what uh, um, Derek Carr and company were able to do that defense. I mean that was brutal. Definitely, I haven't gotten to look into that game yet, but yeah. So with Buffalo, I mean you've got Rex. I mean he's no stranger to any of us or anyone really. If you, if you follow the AFC East, you know him. If you follow football, of course, you know him. He's got Rex sure. in there. Rex takes over. And I mentioned this early in the show, but I'll go over it again. So when he was in New York, the big thing with Rex is, I mean, outstanding 3-4 scheme, uh, always just an incredibly strong, stout defensive line. But the one thing he didn't have in New York, he didn't really have the edge rushers going. I'd say that his best edge rusher while he was there was Calvin Pace, which when Calvin Pace is your best edge rusher, it was during your uh, six years there, maybe a problem. Yeah. So he comes he comes to Buffalo, and now he just has a wealth of guys who can do work off the edge. So, I mean, when he came in, what were you thinking when Rex w- was hired, knowing that the personnel that you have in Buffalo? Well, we thought we had a good idea of what we were in store for because uh, Rex's former defensive coordinator, Mike Patton, was our defensive coordinator back two years ago uh, when when he first got hired uh, for Doug Marone. Then we were playing a very similar attacking style, multiple blitzing defense, very crazy schemes, very confusing for opponents, and that was probably the the big turnaround that this that the defense had seen uh, when they first signed Mario Williams. They thought they were getting that, but it ended up taking a year and a new scheme to do that. Um, we went away from that, went to the 4-3 wide nine last year with Jim Schwartz, and that worked out really well. 
but with Rex coming in, we were kind of assuming that, you know, we, we kind of know what we're looking at. There's going to be lots of complicated blitzes. There's going to be some bizarre press, pressure packages, and we're just going to keep opening up uh, opportunities for all of these guys to keep coming home with sacks. Yeah, the one but, thing about Rex's defense is uh, – I didn't mean to cut you off. I was just going to note no, that um, for, for a guy who has so much bravado, and, I mean, it has kind of the – I don't know if you want to say the bully mentality, but, you know, just a, a guy who can throw his weight around, uh, uh, very cocksure in what he does. Uh, his schemes are incredibly intelligent. I mean, uh, just, I mean, a, a lot of, a lot of, like you mentioned, confusion is the perfect word when you talk about a Rex Ryan scheme. And for all you know, that pressure could be coming from everywhere or it could be just coming from one side of the line. Yeah, that's right. Um, looking at Rex's past defenses, the overload blitzes, the the safety blitzes, even when he's not blitzing and he's you know just throwing three guys at you, but they're coming from all over the field, and that's something that we were kind of looking forward to. I say we were because so far in the season we haven't really had that kind of that same look to this defense and. Uh, it's actually something that the players have been commenting on in the last couple of weeks when they noticed kind of a lack of, of success. Um, statistically, the team isn't performing as well as it has. And uh, a lot of it can kind of be pinned down to that Rex isn't blitzing as much as we being less creative. He might be more complicated on the specific calls, but we don't have that information. All we can do is look at the film and see that uh, he's he's generally kind of sitting back and letting offenses attack him, and then he responds to it. and And I think that that's kind of held the the Bills' defense back a little bit compared to what it had done last year. Is it uh, is it fair to say that the team's biggest issue right now is the quarterback position? Not now, because the because Tyrod Taylor looks like he's healthy, and if Tyrod Taylor's healthy, then we we're, we can live with that. And and him as quarterback, we can live with it. He's he's very inexperienced as a starting quarterback, although he's been in the league a few years. He he can do some great things. Uh, and and you know he he found success against the Dolphins a few weeks ago. Um, more concerning right now is is probably any of the positions that have been hit by injury. And I think. The, the most concerning ones leading into the Miami game will be at safety where we had Corey Graham is currently limited in, in practice with a groin injury and Aaron Williams is out for the next six or seven games with uh, complications from his neck injury that he had against the Patriots uh, and also right. a wide receiver where we're down, possibly down Sammy Watkins uh, as he continues to, recover from being banged up from all sorts of injuries. And then Percy Harvin, uh, nobody even knew where he was last week, but he's dealing with hip and knee injuries and he's yeah, still isn't practicing. So we're kind of uh, running a little low there too. I was actually talking more long-term, but uh, you brought it up and I, I love that point with Tyrod. How far can Tyrod Taylor take this team? We mentioned that you're in the hunt for the wild card. I mean, any can, anything can happen at this point, but what can this team do with Tyrod Taylor under center? The goal heading into this season was with with the quarterbacks the Bills found 
EJ Manuel, Matt Castle, Tyrod Taylor. The hope was that they would find somebody who can be average, mediocre even, just a quarterback who's just good enough to not lose you the game. And the thinking is that with LaShawn McCoy and Sammy Watkins, with the defense and, and the talent that the Bills have there, just average quarterback play is good enough to get them to the playoffs. And we think that Tyrod Taylor can be that guy. He has surprisingly good accuracy given his background from Virginia Tech when he, he kind of was throwing the ball all over the place. Uh, he, he's definitely a dangerous runner and dangerous in the pocket. He has struggled at times to, to be able to see open lanes, and some of that's because of his height. Some of that's just because he's not very great at reading the field. But he, he's the quarterback that you can plug it into a team and and you can expect to win more games than you lose, I think. I, I don't know if he's he's able to stick around long-term, and, and the Bills are probably going to look for extra quarterbacks in the next year anyways, but right now I think the team feels that they can win with him. So going into this game on Sunday, if you're the Bills, what are you focusing on? As I mean, I mean, granted, it was a different head coach and really a different mindset the last time you saw the Dolphins in late September. Uh, you'd like to think that they've got a grittier mentality now, uh, more pitbull mentality uh, per their head coach. But if you're the Bills, what are you looking to take away like from the Dolphins on Sunday? I think on when they're playing the Dolphins offense, the, the Bills need to be focusing more on stopping Jarvis Landry. He, he definitely picked apart the middle of the field in the first match. And I think that if, if the play calling had been better from the Dolphins back then, they probably would have been kind of just scoring at will. Maybe, maybe not to that extent, but I think that Landry showed that he was a real weapon against the Bills. Uh, our, our nickel cornerback, Nickel Roby, has not had the best season in this scheme. And, and I think that th- the team needs to do a bit more to stop him. Uh, and same with, with that same mentality of stopping things in the middle of the field. I think they need to try to bottle up Lamar Miller if they can. Uh, we'll kind of see if, if uh, Laser is going to actually use Miller again. I, I know that since Campbell took over, you guys started committing more to the run, and, and obviously that was working out for them. Uh, but if if the Dolphins keep committing to Lamar Miller, then the Bills have to be able to stop him because uh, once once the Dolphins' offense gets into rhythm, I think that's where Ryan Tannehill kind of finds his strength is, is being able to just play with good timing and, and complete passes. Um, when the Bills have the ball, I think, it's going to come down to establishing a running game. They finally have LaShawn McCoy and Carlos Williams healthy. And, and we're talking like fully healthy, not just playing in games. And I think that if they can continue to run the ball, get a hundred yards or 120 yards, that'll make a big difference. Yeah. The Dolphins actually just started using the run game again after earlier this season when it was, I mean, uh, I own Lamar Miller on my fantasy team, and I, I mean, there's no point to even use him. Just, I mean, the the commitment to the run was absolutely non-existent in Miami. I'm not really sure why. I, I find that one-dimensional football doesn't usually work out. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah with yeah with with Campbell in there, there's there's a renewed commitment to the run game, and I mean, Lamar for the most part has looked really good. 
Uh, and this is definitely a scheme that fits what he wants to do. You know, he's a he's a classic one cut runner, and in the zone blocking scheme that they've got going on, uh, definitely fits. Uh, one another question I want to ask is, uh, what is Buffalo's greatest strength right now? You think? I mean, you know, mid, really midway through the season, we knew that the defense was going to be good, but is there something that jumps out at you as I mean, is just a real cornerstone for this team right now? I think the the biggest strength that the Bills have is on their outside cornerbacks where they have Stephon Gilmore and Ronald Darby who've both been playing tremendous this season. Uh I think Darby has something like 14 passes defended this year and and Gilmore has just been shutting down most of the number 1 receivers that he's up against. So they've been playing very mm-hmm. strong and this week we should be getting back Leotis McKelvin from his off-season injury and he was a starting cornerback last year, so if he gets thrown into the mix too, I think I think the corners have been very strong for Buffalo in helping to shut down offenses. How are you feeling about Cordy Glenn? We were worried about him in the preseason, where he just, he looked really rusty and and he'd had a down year the year before, but uh, he's he's held his own this year. I think um, I I can't really think of any pass rushers who have gotten him besides Chandler Jones, who he kind of gets to everybody in this season. So um, we're we're feeling pretty good about him. And given that the two other tackles that we have on the roster aren't very impressive, I think Bill's fans are hoping that he gets a, a new contract this year. How about Eric Wood? Wood is, he's he's kind of like a Jekyll and Hyde sort of. He has some games, some plays, but also just entire games where he'll look like a very solid top 10 center and he's making all the right blocks and not giving up pressures. And then he'll have games where he just can't get his technique right and and guys are just blowing past him and and blowing up plays. Um, Given how much Eric Wood is paid, that might mean that he's getting paid a little too much for his quality of play, but I think he's a a solid starting center for the team, but I wouldn't be surprised if the bills are kind of looking for an upgrade, trying to find somebody in the draft, maybe that could be a guard center and could eventually start in place of Eric down the line. So I I think it's an area that they could upgrade. I really liked Wood when he came out of uh, Louisville in the uh, 2009 draft. The big reason for that is uh, he looks just like Thurman Merman from Bad Santa. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, he's uh, I, I, he has one of the most iconic bills in, in terms of look. Like, you'll always recognize him when you see him around in pictures. It's, and he's, uh, he's a hilarious guy. We were just talking today, actually, about the time that the Bills accidentally listed him on the injury report and uh, his injury was wood. So we got to yeah. laugh out of that. Yeah, he also had one of the the gnarliest injuries I've seen uh, in the past five years or so. Um, oh yeah, that that so, broken leg. Yeah. Yeah, and for, unfortunately, which is too bad. Cause like I said, I was a big fan of his when he came out of Louisville uh, six years ago. Uh, Lewis, is there anything you want to ask our friend Dan? Um, not really. You pretty much did a good job, Keith. Um, honestly, the only thing I would say to uh, Dan, though, is that I don't think that Jarvis Landry is really the main focus that you guys need to have. If it were me and I was, this is just me speaking out loud and then knowing what the team's weaknesses are, 
is that if I were you, if I were the Buffalo Bills, I would put most of my resources towards just stopping the run and trying to make the Dolphins one-dimensional. Because as we've shown uh, in the past, in the and pretty much every game that we've played, whenever the Dolphins become one-dimensional, they become a horrible team, and that would pretty much guarantee you winning. We call that doing the Filden around here. So yeah, hopefully much. the Dolphins aren't. Fun. Yeah. Hopefully the Dolphins. I, I aren't definitely doing noticed that. Yeah, doing the filming on Sunday. Uh, we don't. We hope to not see that. Um, I mean, I'll just put you on the spot here. Do the Do the Buffalo Bills take up one of those wild card playoff spots? I I'll I'll go as far as say it'll be somebody from the AFC East. I don't I don't know if it'll be Buffalo. I think they have a shot. Um, but it could also be the Jets or the Dolphins. I just think that we're gonna see. Uh, somebody from the AFC East getting a wild card spot. That's as far as I'll go. Yeah, and that, and that too have to trot on the thought of the Dolphins making it right now. I think these guys uh, really burned themselves during the season with a lot of the the inner goings on or lack thereof, and all the problems that they were have uh, or having. Uh, you like I like Dan Campbell. I love the mentality he's brought to this team. Uh, I think it was necessary, and it just kind of makes me want to kick myself and kick this team for not making a change sooner when we've suspected all along that it was really coming from the head coach and his inability to adapt and whatnot. And um, I don't know what Joe Philbin's doing right now. I assume at some point he's going to go back to making Aaron Rodgers lunch and washing <laughs> his car for him like like he was doing before. I I always complain about this every week, and I'm going to do it again this week. Just the fact that uh, he was hired based on the fact that he was preparing the Packers' offense. Yeah, I'm sure much- that Joe Philbin is sending Aaron Rodgers Christmas cards every year thanking him for the millions of dollars he, he got to make because of that. Oh, yeah, whatever. Doing his dry cleaning, uh, whatever it is. I know that's harsh, and I'm I'm half-joking. Uh, I don't. I don't have any real ill will here, but I mean, the, the fact of the matter is, it was never a good matchup between the the between Philbin and the Dolphins, and a lot of us suspected that before he was hired, and then pretty much watched it unfold over the the course of three years. So, uh, is there anything uh, you want to ask me, or is there anything else that uh, you want to mention about Buffalo that I haven't already uh, touched upon? One thing I've got to ask is uh, the newer uniforms. Since you guys got away from a lot of that garish stuff you were wearing in the early 2000s, home run. I, I mean, I have to say that. I've never been a fan of Buffalo. Uh, but I have to say that when you guys made your uniforms a little more classic looking, that was outstanding. Oh, yeah. I think that the new uniforms that Buffalo has are, are some of the some of the best in the league. I I think they're top five personally. Uh, and I agree that the ones from from the early 2000s period, the the navy blue ones, were pretty terrible. And some of the combinations they had for those were just hideous. Uh, but it, we might be speaking too soon on the uniform thing because I we've seen that uh, on the next Thursday night football game, the Bills play right after the Dolphins. They're going to be bringing out some sort of new red jersey look that nobody has seen yet, and the Bills have never even worn a red jersey before, so. I, I don't know what's going on there, but we might see some sort of Nike-esque Bills jersey. So keep your eyes out. Uh, 
I hope not. That that makes me think of like when the Texans wear those uh, unbelievably hideous red jerseys, and you're like, oh, I can't even look at those. Uh, oh, yeah, I do wish the, the, the yeah. I do wish the there's nothing worse. I'll get up. Get us that AFL uniform and helmet for Buffalo is, in my opinion, a, t- a top four get up in the NFL. I love it when they wear those things. I remember when they start bringing them out again. The, when, yeah, I, I definitely were, love those. When you guys were wearing the navy, I blame those uniforms for the Music City Miracle personally. <laughs> I'll I pass that one on along. Yeah, that always popped in. I've got actually one more question. Uh, will Marv Levy live forever? You know, I was just thinking about that the other day. It's, I mean, we, we lost Ralph Wilson last year, and uh, I was just thinking that we keep seeing Marv show up to every single Hall of Fame induction these days, and he, he just keeps on doing his thing and talking, and I, we're, we're all blessed to have him. He's, he's a great guy. So uh, I, I don't want to, like, think about what's going to happen next. I'm sure, like, with you guys and, and Shula and, and any of your uh, historical figures, you you also just don't want to think about what's eventually going to happen. But, yeah, what a great guy. Well, he's obviously a vampire. Because <laughs> yeah. the guy is 90 years old, and he, I mean, he doesn't look at him. Like you said, he's at every event. He shows up. He's there. He's probably closing down for all we know. Yeah. I, <laughs> some kind of witchcraft or something. Yeah, like I said, obviously a product of the undead. Uh, Dan, it was uh, great having you on. If there isn't anything else you want to go ahead and chat, uh, we'll probably get a go ahead and uh, get a take a few more calls. I think I think we're open for like the next uh, fifteen twenty minutes or so. But uh, if there's anything else, uh, thanks for coming on and talking to us. And uh, maybe we'll do this again soon. I mean, obviously this is gonna be the last time we play this year, but uh, we'd love to have you on. Yeah, no, this was uh, great. I have, I do have one question. Um, I'm kind of a, sure. I'm, I'm the draft writer for Buffalo Rumbling, so my, my focus is on the college game when I'm not writing about the Bills specifically. Uh, and I was kind of wondering if you could give some insight onto how Devontae Parker's development has been going. I wasn't the biggest fan of Parker coming into the draft. I still had him ranked in the top five receivers, but. I, I wasn't putting him up up on the same heights as Amari Cooper as I saw some people do. And I know he's had this injury that he's been dealing with for a lot of camp and, and starting into the year, but I was wondering, it seems like he's recovered now. Is is there something else holding him back? I think implementation yeah, is a big Go ahead, Lewis. I know this is a, a sore topic for you, so please. The only thing that's stopping Devontae Parker from getting on the field is the fact that the receivers that are already on the field are already producing. It's not like Parker is behind a bunch of guys who are just bad and they're not doing well. Parker has the consistency has been the main thing that the coaches have been talking about, and people who were, who were hoping that Dan Campbell would come in and let Parker play are disappointed because Campbell is still saying the same thing, is that Parker's consistency is off. And this is something that people need to realize, and I wish they would. Devontae Parker is playing catch-up. He did not get to play in training camp. He did not get he did not get to uh, go through all the drills and all the NFL, um, getting used to the NFL speed and all that stuff that they got to do during training camp. 
So he's currently playing. He's currently doing what he can with limited practice time. He's doing what he can with limited drills, limited physicality, limited all this stuff. But that you can't. So they can't expect Parker to come in there and just start balling like it's no big deal. Parker can play. I'm sure that he's going to be a very big part of this offense next season. However, right now what we have with the Dolphins, you got Rashard Matthews, Jarvis Landry, Kenny Stills, and all these guys. They're not doing bad. They're doing actually pretty well. Kenny Stills is taking the top off of defenses. So when the when Tannehill does have a little time to throw the football and can get uh, throwing open deep, Stills has shown that he can get that ball. He just they just need to try it more, and I think it would work. But that's up to the offensive coordinator to decide to make that call. You got Rashard Matthews and Jarvis Landry, who are essentially carbon copies of each other. Jarvis Landry is just more of um more elusive than Richard Matthews, but they're both sticky fingers. They know how to run their routes. They're very reliable. They're somebody who Tannehill counts on. And so you have your top three receivers right there. And then you have Greg Jennings who's a veteran and he was there in training camp. So Parker can play. I'm sure next year he's going to be a huge part of the offense, but this year he has, he has still has a lot of NFL learning to do. I actually want to turn this question around. Go ahead. A little bit, because you mentioned Parker. uh, The reason, uh, actually, what what made me think of this is um, the previous draft, you guys moving up for Sammy Watkins. Was it worth it? I think so. I think uh, after how the injuries have been going this year, you're going to hear from a lot of Bills fans that they're they're not happy about it. But uh, last year, Watkins came in, and from day one, he was the Bills' number one receiver. I'm he was just barely away from getting a thousand yards in his rookie season, which is something you hardly ever see. And I know that last year's rookie class was kind of special, but you can tell when you watch Watkins on tape, he just has a tremendous release off the line. He has sticky fingers. He just, uh, he's elusive after the catch. He, he really is just a complete receiver and uh, it's disappointing that he's gotten hit with some kind of, uh, not not cheap shots, but he's just had some kind of really unlucky injuries that have held him back. And he's only missed like two games this season, but um, he's he's been dinged up here and there during the games. And that combined with the quarterback change that we had where, where Taylor wasn't even starting until the first game of the season has kind of uh, not let them get on the same page. So we're, we're still hopeful. And I think that Watkins is still going to be a star in the league, but uh, he's having his sophomore slump for sure. I'm uh, I'm just going off the top of my head, but you guys moved up from. Did you have the ninth pick in that draft? Yeah, we uh, we went from nine to four, and it was uh, a first round pick and a fourth round pick in the, in the second in the next year's draft. So uh, the fourth round pick okay. they got from trading another player, so it was like an extra pick. Uh, so, I mean, I assume you were doing draft research uh, that year, too. Is there anyone that y- you would have preferred taking at number nine overall? Um, not the way that the uh, – I mean, I'm going to speak from how I was grading the players last year. Obviously, anybody can go look back now and say, oh, well, Adele Beckham went, what, 12th overall? So, obviously, you want him. But last year, uh, I had Beckham graded as – uh, the third receiver behind Mike Evans and behind Sammy Watkins. Um, 
from the players who had gone uh, by the ninth pick, there wasn't anybody that really stood out to me as somebody I would have rather had rather than trading up. Uh, I mean, everybody wanted Clowney. Uh, Watkins was great. We Everybody liked Khalil Mack. And that's something that some people have debated about was, could we have traded up and taken Khalil Mack instead of Watkins? And will we be better off for that? Um, Mike Evans went before the Bills would have picked. Uh, Aaron Donald, who the Bills didn't need him, but I thought he was a tremendous talent. He went before the Bills would have picked. Um, so what we were kind of looking at was maybe we would have gotten Eric Ebron, who's been very disappointing for the Lions, or you would have had, I don't know, Zach Martin maybe, uh, the, the guard for the Cowboys. So there there wasn't anybody who was kind of a slam dunk pick heading into the draft. And I think with kind of the talent level the Bills had, they made the right call to go with Sammy Watkins, even cost them their first rounder next year. Yeah, I was a huge Zach Martin fan out of Notre Dame. I thought he was awesome, and I mean he's he's proven as much. I mean that guy on the right side of the line for Dallas has just been incredible. Oh yeah, so. I mean when you can get a when you can get a lineman who you just plug into the starting lineup and he just locks it down and plays plays well, then you definitely want to take that. But I I think that if the Bills had taken a guard with the ninth overall pick, they would have gotten just as much crap as they did for trading up for a receiver. So, you know, okay, well, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something, Dan, and I'm sure you can relate. <laughs> that's just that's just people being stupid, and that's the ESPN QB rating drone dummies who think that if you don't win, then obviously everybody sucks. Everybody needs to be fired. There's no, there's no whys about it. Never, they never ask why ESPN never asks why they just give you the what and they tell you that they're bad. So don't, I, at this point it's gotten to a, don't even listen to those people because you know what, there's never anything that can be done to satisfy them except win the Super Bowl and go undefeated. Oh, I, I hear you. And uh, I mean, Positional value aside, we could, we could debate all day about, well, should you take a putter in the first round if he's the best player in the draft? But I, I do think that um, the, as, in terms of the upgrade that they represented for the, for the Bills' offense, the Bills, before they drafted Sammy Watkins, they pretty much had no strong receivers. They had Robert Woods, who got about 600 yards in his career to that point, and then they had St- Stevie Johnson, who – uh, had had a, a few good years of a thousand yards receiving, but he just was not connecting with the team, and, and he kind of had limited upside. So, uh, if if the Bills didn't draft Watkins and they drafted a guard, they would have had nobody to throw to. So, uh, it was it was a big it was a big deal leading up to the draft that they needed a really really good receiver. And with the way the the draft played out, they they might have been getting Beckham, but the word heading in was that if they didn't trade up, they were going for Ebron instead, so uh, I take Watkins over Ebron 10 times out of 10. I think that worked out. I'd say it worked out for you, too. Uh, Dan, thank you very much for coming on, and like I said, uh, I hope you can uh, call in again. Really, it doesn't even have to be for Buffalo. We'd love to to hear from you. Yeah, thanks. It was great talking to you guys. Let me know anytime you want to talk again. Yeah, we'll set it up. Thanks uh, thanks again, and uh, good luck on Sunday. Uh, hopefully we're not doing the Philbin. Yeah. yeah, good luck to you guys, but the Bills, I hope, will win this one. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Dan. Uh, Buffalo fans are so nice. I have to say, that's my favorite thing. 
about talking to Bills fans is that they're just so incredibly nice. Like, I mean, if that was a Jets fan, he would have dropped three F-bombs. He would have told us both to go to hell. He probably would have wished death upon our quarterback. So, I got to say, Buffalo well, you fans, have to, you, you have to find right. you, There are a few good ones out there, Keith. You just got to find them. Yeah, I don't know. I don't believe you. I think they're all terrible. Uh, we got another caller. No. Uh, go ahead and uh, reveal yourself, caller. He's not. <laughs> let me guess. Is the Dolphin for life? No. Oh, it's Kevin. It is Kevin. Yes. Kevin, I don't understand why you how you just call in at the most random times. It's it's what I do. I try to stay random. Well, you, oh, yeah, Kevin, what job. happened to you? What happened to you this year? You were so you were all lined up for web weekend, and then you and James just didn't show up. Uh, my work schedule changed. Like at the last minute, I was supposed to fly out Thursday night to get there for Friday, and on Wednesday, Tuesday or Wednesday, my boss said, "Hey, I need you to be here Friday, Saturday, and Monday." And I went, "Well, that Shit. doesn't give me much time to get there." And then James was all set to go. And ended up having to go over to a doctor because he got sick and was, like, really, really sick for that weekend. So we both ended up missing Web Weekend, which makes me sad because it was the first time that we had gotten all set up to go. And both of us ended up having to cancel at the last minute. He said that he said he was contacted by the Dolphins. They were looking to hire yep. him for, like, some sort of, like, outreach position. Yeah, he, uh, he told me. And... It, I don't know if he'll be able to line it up just because he's living so far away from Miami right now, but we'll see uh we'll see yeah. what happens there. Do you feel an absence now that he's no longer in the state of Texas with you? It is a little weird. It is a little weird. Yeah, uh, we're, we're starting to have we're starting to have contributors converge towards South Florida and I don't know if we can handle actually being around the team. <laughs> yeah, that would be weird. I know that that was one of my favorite things one year was some guy went off on us cause, or went off on the site uh, or went off on on me on Twitter uh, regarding the the site's inability to have people who actually live in the state of Florida. And I was like, look, I don't really know what to tell you, but I can I can already say that I don't like you. So, one, all right. So I got so many questions I want to ask you. First of all, how are you feeling about the Spurs? Um, I think it should be a really good year. Do you like Lamarcus Aldridge? Did you enjoy really watching year. Porzingis gunk on his head? <laughs> um, we'll just say that it's going to be a really good year. I, I think. Get, yeah, I, I think you guys are my pick. First. Why? How are you going to talk about Miami? First. Nobody. If people want to talk about the Miami Heat, they should talk about, uh, I always call uh, Chalmers Urkel, because Chalmers looks just like oh Urkel. And when he got rejected last night and just went flying, when Millsap went, went, went outside the head of the homes there, I was like, I was like, oh, damn. I was like, he may never recover from that. Like, I mean, he's had a good career, and he might be like, he might become some trivial pursuit footnote. Who was that guy who was who Paul Millsap threw into the into the hardwood like a lawn dart? Totally brutal. Totally Urkel. And I've been saying about that about him since he was at Kansas. So that's not like a making fun of the heat thing or ever. You guys are my the Spurs are my pick to win it all this year. 
Uh, I think that's definitely possible. I think it's uh, well, very I hope possible. You, I hope, well, if that happens, I hope the Spurs take LeBron out again. <laughs> Sounds like LeBron's back is going to take LeBron out. It's it's good to know, and I don't mean to make make light of the situation, but I will. That it's good to see that uh, LeBron's hairline isn't the only thing aging on him. To be honest with you, he got hair plugs. Yeah, yeah, and they're not fooling anyone. They, um, Kevin, how was your Halloween too? It was pretty good. It was pretty good. Had uh, fun. I uh, dressed up as Thor, so I had some really long blonde hair, which was really weird to see, but it was good. I saw that you looked jacked, and then I realized that you were wearing a muscle costume. <laughs> no, no, that was all me. That was that. No, yeah. no, no muscle costume at all. A lot of kettlebell work, I take it. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Uh, do you want to take a quick <laughs> call with us? We've got we've got one more caller, and then we can continue to make fun of you some more. Uh, sure. We're going to go ahead and. I, uh, this one's I don't for Hey, man, you finally guessed my number. <laughs> he actually didn't see your number. He's just guessing because at some point he figured you were going to go ahead and uh, make yourself uh, a part of the um, the group. So well, every time on? you say that you don't recognize the number, Keith, it's it's him. <laughs> oh, is that so? Because he, I, I'm not screening our calls. There are a couple of numbers I want to answer because I know who they are. But uh, I don't do that too often, and obviously I don't do it enough because Kevin's with us right now. So, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> I'm sorry, Thor. Thor was able uh, uh, to go ahead and join us from Asgard. So, uh, <laughs> did you go to a party, or did did you just go and hand out candy with your son? Uh, we went around the uh, around the neighborhood. Um, the night before, or two nights before Halloween, we actually had a Cub Scout meeting, which I went at Thor for that. And then uh, we just went around the neighborhood and then handed out candy at the house. Did they believe you were actually Thor? Um, no, and I had a whole lot of them that told me that I look like a girl with long hair. So I don't know what That's cold. <laughs> I'll say this. I, uh, I went to a costume contest at a bar on Saturday. And this is my big grievance for the week. So I go to this. Did Bernadette win, or did? uh... No, no, no. I you saw my costume. I should have won. Yes, those pants alone (laughs) were worthy of a win. (laughs) They were incredible. If you if you're friends with me on Facebook, you can see them. Maybe I'll post them on Twitter. I don't know. Those pants were one of a kind. I fit in them miraculously. And so I go to this thing. I think we lost our host. That can't be good. <laughs> is that, is, oh, boy. Um, that How really do you lose a host? I don't know. That's interesting. Okay, so, uh, hey, Dolphin Fan for Life, what do you want to talk about? Oh, uh, well, you know, I've just been seeing a lot of Tannehill hate lately. And, I mean, I, I guess. And you know, really Lewis. I guess I could really say at least he's not RG3 or Geno Smith or Sammy Watkins or, you know. Are you saying Sammy Watkins is a bust? 
I'm saying that Sammy Watkins is about to talk himself into being one. You know, um, he's not really being smart about his actions, I should say. You know, I think, though, that that you you, you could absolutely say the same thing about Des Bryant when Mm -hmm. the Cowboys were having to come up with a team to trade to follow him and make sure he didn't get in trouble and all that stuff. And it worked out for Des. I mean, I, I would say Des is probably a pretty good receiver. Um, He's a pretty good <laughs> receiver, pretty good but receiver. he comes with a lot of baggage. He I'll does. take that baggage. I mean, I'll take that baggage. Diva, it, Diva it just money to the history of the league. I mean, Chris Carter had the most baggage ever and did well. Um, Michael Irvin, diva wide receivers are all over the place. I mean, Brandon Marshall's a diva wide receiver, but everywhere he goes, he does well for a year or two before he has to move on. I was going to say, I was like, there, there's definitely a, a short-term cap on, on where he behaves. Uh, one of my friends uh, met Michael Irvin multiple times and said he's actually a really nice guy. Uh, Chris Carter That's is the best hands of any, any receiver I've ever seen, except that also the largest uh, – uh, eyebrows of any guy I've ever seen in my life which were a little bit uh, terrifying. Uh, i got to get back to my story real quick because I'm, I'm still fuming over the fact that in a costume contest, contest I lost to three blind mice which was two girls who were just wearing pretty much nothing. Okay. Number two was some guy who was dressed as a baby and he had like some baby mask on that was incredibly terrifying. I don't know why he played second. And then number one was uh, some guy who was dressed as a Playboy bunny. And this is my complaint. Why is it that in costume contests you automatically win if you're just cross-dressed? I have an issue with that. You <laughs> some creativity. Because you don't have sick and depraved minds, Keith. That is total BS. It is just show, have some decency. Show some creativity. Show some intuition. Just don't dress like a woman if you're a man and expect to win everything. I hate that. Anyway, I, I'm better now. It's all about See, Kevin, why, Kevin, why don't you call it more often? Um, I don't know. I don't feel Are like the it. race from Asgard expensive? Yeah, exactly. It's it's hard to call from way up here. <laughs> yeah. But don't they have, don't they have a bunch of gold and stuff up there? Like, like surely you can afford it. I mean, I you have so. to be in the exact right spot. Natalie Portman's cell phone works sometimes. It, it's weird. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I, I also am looking forward to the day where uh, James called back in because I know now now he's back in Florida. Uh, so I, I haven't been able to bring it up. Um, I was kind of, I wasn't pulling for the Rangers, obviously, because I like the Toronto Blue Jays. But I didn't want to tell him that because he eats, sleeps, and breathes the Texas Rangers. I didn't. I mean, I just couldn't do that to him. So in a way, I was kind of pulling for him, but not really. So I'm sure he's a Marlins know. fan now. He's moved back to South Florida. He hates the Marlins, and he's right to hate the Marlins. Piss on the Marlins, honestly. Wait, until you go ahead and put a team out there and don't sell it off halfway through the year, no one should come to your game. Hey. Donnie Baseball's there for, I'm sure, till I don't know. Halfway through May. the year, and he's out. June. If if they fire Manningly halfway through the year, then that that team, like, someone should go 
and just, I mean, they should just demolish their stadium because they don't deserve it at this point. That really nice park that they, they have. Still, they already they don't, go, Keith. They already don't. They should, they should bulldoze it and make them play in some community field and just be done with it. We've got about a minute left. Uh, boy, these rants go fast. <laughs> Which, Kevin, so, Kev, quick. So on the uh, Tannehill talk, there there is absolutely a lot of bashing Tannehill right now. And I don't understand it because we've seen what he can do. He can be accurate. We don't need the deep ball every freaking play. He can be accurate. He can get that there. But when is he not accurate? When the offensive line is breaking down and he's trying to get the ball out of his hand before he's even out of his drop yet. So there's an offensive line piece here. Does he need to make better decisions? Probably at times. But there's also other things going on. It's not just Tannehill. Balance, 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 balance. That's it. That's it. That's all I need to do to win. Should we just play, not play the Patriots in Gillette Stadium? Should we just we open up a pipeline? Block. Should we just open oh. a pipeline and start drafting LSU players? I mean, it worked with Jarvis Landry. They've got pretty much. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. I guess. Good night. Good night. Hello, you're listening to Simone de Rochefort, one of the hosts of The Polygon Show. It's a show all about the video games that you'll never have time to play, brought to you by four friends who are just as passionate about food, soft drinks, and TV shows as we are about video games. Every Friday, we bring you a new hour of personal stories, like how we found the best way to play Yakuza 0, or even what happens when you play so much Zelda that you hurt your hands and can't play games anymore. Above all, we just have a really good time talking about the games that we love. Check out the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. You can also find us at Polygon Show on Twitter and send a tweet to say hi. Thanks for listening.